just believe that's um, the picture of the Holy Spirit on us. So that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Cool. So what I want to share tonight, I call the why. As humans, not even just talking to Christians, just as any humans, there are in life important questions that we all need to answer. And for some of us, you, you wonder about those things quite early on in life. Some of us can get quite far in life before we actually care <laughs> um, about the answers to the questions. But all of us ask somewhere in life, we say, who am I? We say, who is God? God, who are you? Uh, we say, why am I here? Uh, we ask, where do I come from? Um, and we ask a lot of why questions. Why? Why is there earth? Why is there a God? Why did God create the earth? Um, anyone from any background asks these questions. They might, might sound a little bit different. But somewhere in our life, we need to answer these questions. Otherwise, it begins to really bother you. I'm sure a lot of you in this building has gone through a time of your life where this was really kind of at the top of your list, where you were probably going every day. But why? Why do I exist? Or why do I live? And um, the reason why all of us ask that at some point in our lives is because we were created for a reason. It's because we were not um, accidental. It's there, were, there was not a um, Big Bang with the evolutionary process and we just happened to be. We were created specifically, intentionally, the Bible says, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. So God made each one of us, before we even existed in this world, God planned us. It was intentional. It was specific. It was detailed. It's different for each one. So even from conception, from the moment we come into being in this world, even in our inner beings, we know that. And that is why we keep asking why. And it's good to ask. And we need to come to these questions, and we need to come to the answers. And, you know, something that um, I want to say specifically in Christian and church context is that we mustn't look down on the process. You know, we've all heard of people who, and this is real, that people get healed or delivered or set free in an instant, um, often at baptism, actually often know about people who have depression or mental problems or drug addictions and the moment that they get baptized it's gone but then we also know of people who who really have to work it out for a year or two or five or ten sometimes really work through something and i want to say tonight that the one is not more glorious than the other god is god and god is good and sometimes the process is important and it's not always for us to understand why it goes the one way or the other way who of you have heard these stories where um, someone on the street wins the lottery? We've seen this in the magazines, whatever. And then they, um, what do they do? Obviously, they splash. They're like, you know, get everything that they ever wanted or whatever. Now, how long does it last? <laughs> Inevitably, it's understandable. If you just came from the street, it's understandable that you don't have perspective on managing a million rand, for instance, that you just won. And of course, you would just quite possibly just spend it. And then actually, in a year or two, end up where you were, which seems unbelievable after you've had a million rand, but that's completely possible and that happens. And sometimes God knows that some of the things in our lives, if he gives you the lottery, he knows that you needed actually the process. So we glorify God in both. We celebrate short, instant healings. We celebrate long processes. 
We celebrate short processes. Sometimes we ask for shorter processes. Um, but we have to honor the process in our lives. And, and I want to say that as a disclaimer to my message tonight. What I'm speaking about tonight is the, the kind of thing that probably does not happen overnight. It might be that you've actually been on this journey for a few years. And maybe for some of you tonight will be the clincher. So maybe at the end of the service or at home tonight, you could actually get your answer to what I'm going to speak about for yourself. But for many of you, you might not get it tonight. And that's completely normal, actually. <laughs> it would be an exception if some of you got it tonight. God does exceptions and does miracles all the time, so it's probably going to happen. <laughs> but don't disregard the process if you're still in the process or if you're maybe even going to start the process tonight. Um, but do engage it. And there's something in the journey God works in the journey while we're asking the question. So a question like, I'm not going to talk about that tonight, but a question like, who am I? That's an identity question. And as, never mind as a Christian, even as a human being, you need to answer it. Especially as a Christian, you need to answer it. You need to be able to come to a very clear conclusion about who you are. And it's completely worthwhile to spend years on it, to wrestle with God and to, to work it through who am I because most people don't know who they are and most people think they know who they are but they're not actually spot on yet because who they think they are is based on what people have told them who they are often what your parents told you or the people that you grew up with a lot of things that they would have said to you often forms part of who you think you are just little things like um, you're a very outgoing child or you're a might be positive might be negative some of it might actually be who you are but at the end of the day, there's only one person who really, really knows who you are. And that's not you. That's God. <laughs> um, and at the end of the day, you can only fully find that answer in him. And it's worth looking for it. It's also worth asking, who is God? It's worth spending years on it. It's worth spending actually a lifetime on it. <laughs> An eternity, for that matter. <laughs> and search it out in the scripture and ask, keep asking the question, who are you? Some kinds of personalities find it frustrating when the answer doesn't come quickly. And I think also this generation finds it frustrating. We're not used to having to wait for anything. Um, but some things in life are just not instant. When you get to the point we have babies, it, it's really babies take nine months to form. They've never found a way to make it quicker. Sometimes they come out quicker, but it's not good. It's not ideal. They weren't ready then. Nine months, that's quite long. Humans take about 18 years to become an adult. Biblically, I think 13, actually, but they're just for argument's sake. Between 13 and 18, they've never found a way to make that shorter. <laughs> it's just how long it takes to grow up. Actually, the very being of a human does not, things actually do not happen instantly. Um, and it's good for us to embrace that, and especially when God is busy in that way. Yeah, so my question tonight is um, why? And this can, can be on many levels in life. There's a why for why this church exists. There's a why for why the global church exists. But tonight I'm going to speak about why do you exist? Why do I exist? And we're going to look a bit at scripture and why this question needs to be asked and some examples of how people asked it and what it meant to them. So the first one, which I love, is the story of David. Anyone who doesn't know the story of David and Goliath? I'll just give the context. Is there someone? 
So we all know the story, very popular one. So David's brothers are fighting um, in a battle against the Philistines, and they say, no, we have a plan. The Philistines, we're not going to have this whole big battle with both armies. Let's just each army send their strongest warrior, and they fight, and whoever wins, wins. And of course, they send Goliath, and he's a giant. Um, Oops. (laughs) And no one wants to fight him. Of all this massive army who are supposedly the people of God, who are trained warriors, no one is willing to go and fight him. And David goes and he's actually taking supplies for his brothers. And we can read 1 Samuel 17, verse 29. David says to his brothers kind of what's going on here. And his brothers say, it's kind of, is put off by him, and they say, oh, you know, just go back to where you came from, why are you even asking? And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing, and these people answered him as the first ones did. So David challenged them. He said, why is no one willing to fight Goliath? And they were mocking him, saying, what are you even doing here? And he says, what have I done now? He's like, why are you irritated with me? Is there not a cause? such a telling question so we know that David goes on to volunteer eventually they allow him the the, um, armor doesn't fit him so he goes without the armor he takes the stones and the um, sling and he kills the giant he's not trained he's not in the army even he's young he's not the strongest what is the difference so no one wanted to go he was willing to go. And obviously no one had it in them to defeat Goliath, but he had it in them. They were all the people of God. Yes, David loved God. He had a specific, special relationship with God, but they were all the people of God. So what is the difference? And I believe we see it in the sentence. David is the one who says, is there not a cause? So everyone knows what needs to be done. What needs to be done? The, the battle needs to be won. Everyone knows how it needs to be done. Goliath needs to be killed. But no one is saying, and this is what David is saying to them, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Not one person in that army is saying, why does it need to be done? They're all getting stuck at what has to be done and how it's got to be done. And this is not a, Simon Sinek is not a Christian. He's just a very um, well-known writer. He writes on leadership and business. And he, he, he studies a lot of psychology of the brain and the, the um, physiology of the brain, actually. And he's got these three levels. He says there's three levels of questions. The lowest one is the what. He makes it like circles. The outer one is the what. Then there's a how. And then the middle one is the why. He says people, everyone knows what they're doing. And every company knows what they're doing. You know, if, if it's Cafe Vida Cafe, they know that they make coffee. They also know how they do it because they are doing it. <laughs> And often with your how is also like your values. Um, So your values are either to be the fastest place that makes coffee or it's the best coffee. Or no, what is important to you is that you are the friendliest to your customers. That's maybe your how. So everyone knows what they do and everyone knows how they do it, but very few people in life think about why they do it. And he's looking at this not from a Christian point of view, from a physiological and psychological brain point of view. He says that... Everyone really actually wants to live from the why. And people and companies are successful when they're engaged with the why up to the point where they are crystal clear about what it is. And then they live from that place. 
would actually know why they do what they do. He's not a Christian, but he's just found, he's just stumbled upon some of God's truth and applied it, and it works because God's truth works wherever we apply it. I want to look at another example. Jesus. If you look at John 6, 38, I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. So we all know a lot of what Jesus did, and we know how he did it. And Jesus himself knew a lot of what he had to do and how he had to do it. But the important thing that, that we see in that scripture is why Jesus did what he did. And sometimes there's a lot of why. So why did Jesus come to us? To die for us, to forgive us from our sins, to be an example, to raise up the disciples. There's a lot of whys, but we need to contend for the most important why. What is the most important why? And that's what I'm asking you tonight. Why do you exist? What is the most important why of your life? So Jesus is saying his why is, I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. So he says, Jesus is why I'm here. I am here to do God's will. That is my why. And of course, as Christians, there's a lot of answers to the why question that we can get from Scripture, and they're all technically correct. But you have to find the one that you were created with, the one that's specific to you, the way that God designed you. And I think this is a lifelong process, and I think even as you go through life, you will refine it as you grow in knowing God and knowing yourself. But the important thing that we see, as with David, he knows the why. And then in the crucial moment, he can do the correct thing because he knew the why. That's what set him apart. With Jesus coming to the cross, Luke twenty-two forty-two, this is now the moment. This is the important moment. And now it's hard. It's really hard. He's sweating blood. He's in anguish. This is not um, easy. This is the hardest thing he ever, has ever had to do. Father, and then in this moment, he goes back to his why. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. In the biggest challenge that Jesus faces, the biggest thing he has to overcome, he goes back to his why. So he says, what I want is I want the cup to pass from me. This is what I want. And Jesus is Jesus, and there's lots of theology around this of whether it could have been possible, if it could have been done another way, etc. I'm not an expert, I don't know, but Jesus, Jesus, I guess he could have done anything. <laughs> but even Jesus, being on earth in the form of a human, has the opportunity to make decisions. And when he has to make the hardest decision that he will ever have to make and the, do the most difficult thing that he will ever have to do, he goes back to his why. Not my will, but yours be done. And he goes ahead and he goes through the, the cross. Can you look at another example? Esther. Anyone unfamiliar with the story of Esther? I'll just give some context. So Esther was a Jewish girl, and the king got rid of his queen, and he wanted a new queen, and they picked up all the pretty girls and brought them to the palace, and they one by one had to go into the king, probably sleep with him, and then he chose one, and eventually he chose Esther as his wife. She became the queen, but she, she hid the fact from him that she was a Jew. And there was a, um, the king had a guy, Mordecai, uh, Haman in his kingdom, which was a leader, and he really wanted to kill all the Jews. And Mordecai was Esther's uncle, but she grew up with him because she didn't grow up with her parents. So it's like a father to her. 
Now, now Mordecai is going to let Esther know about this plan that the king has with the Jews. Mordecai, he told him, okay, so he sent someone to Esther. He told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Esther says, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they may be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. So this is just how it worked at the time. If the king does not call you, you may not go to him. If you go to him, you get killed because it's the king. You cannot, it's all about his will and what he wants. Unless when you go to him, he extends the scepter. But this is, in the context, it's a very exceptional thing. Now, also, the king has wives and concubines, whatever, and they live in a separate palace. And he just calls them when he wants them. So if he's recently, for instance, seen Esther, then she'll be on his mind. And he's like more likely to be favorable towards her. But she says, I haven't seen him in 30 days. So essentially, she's saying, I'm not on his mind. I don't have favor with him right now. Quite possibly when I walk into that room, I'm going to get killed. So she's actually saying to Mordecai, I'm not going to do it. So Mordecai is saying, your whole people is going to be killed. All the Jews will be killed. You are now in the palace. You do something about it. And she says, no, because then I will be killed. So at this point, Esther is not aware of the why of her life. But Mordecai, as a father to her, really her uncle, but who raised her, I believe he is aware of the why on her life, that God has revealed this to him. And they have a very close relationship. Mordecai says, do not think that because you're on the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. If you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. So Mordecai knows the why of his life and of Esther's life. Relief and deliverance of the Jews. The salvation of God's people. Eventually, where Jesus will come from, this people that God has chosen. The relief and deliverance for the Jews will come from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. And as a trusted mentor who she has a good relationship with, who knows God, in this moment, God gives him the ability to speak the why into her life. And Mordecai, he understands, he's already seen from God this is the why of Esther's life. And in this moment, she grasped it. He says it to her, this is your why. Relief and deliverance for the Jews. And Esther clicks it. And she says, go gather together all the Jews who are on Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Do you see the shift? And at first she's saying, I'm not like, immediately, I'm not considering it because I will die. I might die. I'm not doing it. God uses Mordecai to release the wine to her life, and she receives it. She, she witnesses in her spirit that this is indeed the why of her life. The moment that she knows why she lives, she's willing to die for it. One sentence later, <laughs> if I perish, I perish. This is the power of the why of your life. Not the why that you want. <laughs> Not the why that your mom wants for you. Not the why that your friends want for you or your partner. The why that God wants for you. Jesus doesn't want to die on the cross in the natural sense. But he knows the why of his life is to do the will of his father. And in the, when the crunch comes, 
in the moment that matters, he's able to fall back on his why. He says, not my will be done, but yours. Esther doesn't want to die. Who wants to die? (laughs) But in the moment that she understands the why of her life, she's instantly willing to die for it. David is just a boy up against a giant. But because he understands the why, he's willing to do it. And he succeeds. If we go on to the next one, of course the why that God called you for is possible. Of course if it's the why on your life, then it is achievable even though it looks impossible. We know that Esther did it. We know that the king received her. We know that she moved in wisdom. There was a whole story that you can go read in the book of Esther. And eventually the Jews were saved. For the Jews, it was a time of happiness and joy, gladness and honor. In every province and in every city to which the edict of the king came, there was joy and gladness among the Jews with feasting and celebrating. That which the Lord wanted, relief and deliverance for the Jews, that happened. And then, as we know, God even more. And many people of other nationalities became Jews because fear of the Jews had seized them. There was even a spillover, an abundance from the obedience of Esther. Not only were the Jews saved, there was even other people who became Jews who weren't Jews before. I want to show you just the, the circle. What, how, and why. This is what you need to ask yourself. What am I doing? How am I doing it? Why am I doing it? And just to go into a little bit of this physiology, you have two parts of your brain, neocortex and the limbic brain. This is very, like, where you feel. This is emotions. When people say they have a gut feeling, it comes from here. This is language, thoughts, thinking. So you can't speak with this part. It's, it's in this part of your brain where sometimes um, if you were young and you, so f- take me, we used to drive down from Cape Town to the ocean for December holidays, and we always drank little serious boxes of juice in the car, but I was very car sick. So for many years, up till recently, when I smell a serious box juice, I get nauseous. It's a connection. It, it hap- it's not logical. I can't put it in language. It's not um, logical that a serious juice makes me nauseous. It's in my limbic brain. It's associations, feelings, emotions, smells. Um, but then you have your neocortex where, where you come from, something comes from here and it moves through this part of your brain and then you can express it. So how we usually think is we think from the outside in. What do I do? How do I do it? And maybe at some point we'll say, but why am I actually doing it? And what I want to encourage us is to think from the inside out. Why do I do what I do? Why? Why do I exist? Why did God create me? And if you haven't asked who am I, then you might need to do that first or at the same time because it's part of the answer, your identity, who am I? If you haven't asked who is God, then you need to ask that and answer that and embrace the process. And the process is not all by yourself. The process comes through talking with other people, asking people's opinion, if you have good books or, or YouTube videos and you go and look at that, um, never take anything that people say necessarily as truth. Watch, watch things with discretion, read with discretion, but engage the process. Because when you can answer the why of your life, then the how and the what flows out of that. And um, as, the, as leaders of the church, the district leaders and the elders, myself and Reno, we met a few weeks ago and we said... Um, as a church, we've always known our why. 
who can actually tell me what is the why of our church? Ronabosh Church. Shofa Ronabosh. You're welcome to guess. We see the nations. Disciple them and send them back to the nations. Anyone else want to guess? SMS? Yes, I know. Sons and daughters from afar. Yeah. You guys are spot on. So, um, the scripture that we started with the church with is God said, I will send you sons and daughters from afar. So God always said he will send sons and daughters to this church. You are all sons and daughters. And he will send people here. They will encounter him. And we will input everything we can into people's lives. And at some point they will go. And they will take what they've received here. And they will take it where they go. And this has been happening all the years. So the way that we phrase it is, why, why Shafar Ronabash? Because he sends us sons and daughters. So over the years since we've had this church, every decision we make is based on that. Does what we do enable this why that God has called us for? In the Bible, there is a million good things that churches should do. A million. More than we could ever do. There's a million possible ministries that we could run in church. There's a million good works that we could do. And we cannot do them all. Even if we were a church of a million people, we couldn't do them all. We have to measure. We cannot do something that's not in here. But we have to measure what we do by why we exist. And that's how God uses the body of Christ. And in, in a big way, we feel like God is taking the whole Shofaronabosh next level. And um, myself and Raina planted the church just when we came back from our honeymoon, like the next day. <laughs> so the church is as old as our marriage. And if you guys know Raina, he's a fast runner in the spirit. And he's a very strong leader. So in a lot of ways, we've always um, really ran, and everyone just ran with us. And we're making a big, big shift. We're at that age as a church um, where we're moving into a bigger group where we're not going to run ahead so much anymore, but we're going to have a bigger leaders group who's all going to move together forward. You know, Raina says, um, there's an African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone, but if you want to go far, go together. So we're at that age where we're going together, which is amazing and really exciting. And over the next six months to three years, we're really going to engage with God from leadership side. And we will also at some point involve everyone, of course. And we're going to say, just make sure for next level, why Shofar Onabosh? You know, the why doesn't change, but sometimes God takes it next level. Um, and, and in part of this journey, I also want to encourage you to be walking your journey with this. Why does Benjamin exist? Why? Why does Mandisa exist? And um, start asking the questions, start engaging around it, start trusting the Lord around it. Okay, I'm going to pray first for that before I share something else with you. So Father, I just want to give opportunity tonight for us to open our hearts to you, Lord. And um, we thank you that you have created us with purpose, each one of us has a why and you are the one who knows what that is and there are many people here who have an idea thank you lord that you guide us through this process as we pray as we speak to our friends as we think as we heal 
as we become more whole, we can know more of who we are, not act out of our wounds and out of our past, but act out of our identity and out of who you are. Thank you for healing, Lord, amongst us. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you walk this process with us. I want you to just respond to God and just, in your own words, say to him, and just say it out loud. Sometimes it's, it's when you brain your head, sometimes gets a bit lost. Just say to him, Lord, I, I'm going to trust you for my why. And I'm going to give you a minute, and you just say to him, Lord, I know I'm, for instance, pastoral. What, do I, what, should, do, what should I do with it? Or I know I'm smart. Or I know I'm, I love sport. Does that have something to do with my why? Or I'm interested in this part of scripture. Just start asking God a few questions. I'm just going to give you a minute. Thank you, Lord, that you're bringing even dreams 